imitation is very much part of life. You don't have to go far to see people, whatever is in vogue, if it's a certain shirt with a certain symbol, then everybody's got to have that shirt because I want to look in. If it's a certain cap that everybody's wearing, got to get that cap because, boy, you sure don't look like you, you want to look like you're not cool. And whatever's in, you, you got to be because we like to imitate. We, like, we don't want to stand out as that tallest blade of grass. We want to be right in there amongst them. And we know that imitation is always a part of life. In fact, somebody has said imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Someone else said more than half of what we are, we are by imitation. Another person said, Charles Caleb Colton said, if we steal thoughts from moderns, we're, cried, we're called out for plagiarism. But if we steal from ancients, we're called scholars. Isn't that amazing? The truth is, we, we find things that we like and we repeat it. We see things that we like and we try to imitate it doing kids wear jerseys, kids of all ages wear jerseys of their favorite football player or tank top of their basketball player. Uh, we we want to look like and act like that person we, we would love to be and emulate because they just somehow, they, they, they mesmerize us with who they are and what they are. Well, this morning, I want to look at a text to see we're, we're called on to be imitators. Did you know that? There, there's only one original, and we're not him. And so this morning, I want to look with you. It's been a couple of weeks, three weeks, I guess, since we've been to Ephesians, and I know, I know you all read Ephesians 5 every single day, but for those that don't, I want to go back and let's review where we were because it's hard if we don't have a context. It's hard to relate this text where we are. So you remember Ephesians 1 through 3 deal with doctrinally, who are we? What has God done for us? Who is he? Why did he do what he did? What, what, what motivated him? And then what have we received from him? That's the doctrinal position. You can't ha have a, a plan for action if you don't know the foundation upon which you're resting. So Ephesians 1 through 3 is that foundation. Then you begin in chapter, chapter 4, and he says, I, prisoner of the Lord, says, walk worthy of the calling. If this is what God's done, then shouldn't it show up in our lives? And he goes through all kinds of things, and I'm not going to take time to do it all. Verse 17, he says, I say this in testifying the Lord, you should no longer walk like the Gentiles or like the world. Where Gentiles means everybody other than God's people. Gentiles are the nations. Don't, don't walk like the nations. There were Jews who were God's people and us. And when we were converted, there was a third category, Jews, the church, and the Gentiles. And so he says, once you belong to God, walk like it, act like it. He comes down here with all kinds of admonitions about what we shouldn't do. In verse 25, he said, don't to speak, to, speak truth to each other. Don't be, don't be liars. Verse 26, he says, be angry and don't sin. Verse 28, don't keep stealing. Verse 29, look at this, no foul language coming from your mouth. Only what's good in what you said yesterday, what you tweeted, what you wrote, is this, would this be characteristic? Nothing foul from your mouth, only what is good to build up someone in need that it gives grace to those who hear. Boy, that'd shut down Facebook, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? What if Washington suddenly operated by that principle? I can't imagine that either. So, so look at verse 30. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? You were sealed by him. Well, what does sealing do? If you get something that's vacuum-packed, what, what is it declaring? This is the way it appeared on the production line. Nothing in that production line was germy or uh, viral-laden, bacterial-laden. Whatever was in that room is a pure product, is pure sealed, and nothing can get to it from the outside. It said you were sealed by God. When he saved you, what he put in you was pure. 
What he's put around you is the Holy Spirit to keep you pure. So he said, listen, here's what you ought to do. You were sealed by him for the day of your redemption. Now look at this. All bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander removed from you, along with all, all malice. And now here's, here's the new text for today. Verse 32. Wouldn't this take care of things? Be kind. We're not voting on it. That's an announcement. Wouldn't that take care of everything? Just be kind. It doesn't say what kind, does it? <laughs> we all kind of something, aren't we? But it means be gently kind. Be, be gracious in your kind. Be kind. Look at this. Be kind one to another. Compassionate to each other. Be forgiving to each other. Uh-oh. Now, now, now he raises the bar really, really, really high. I'm kind, aren't you? Are you kind as Christ? Well, well, well. I'm compassionate, aren't you? You're compassionate as Christ. Well, I think I'm gracious, aren't you? As gracious as Christ. Look, look, look at the comparison. Just as God forgave you in Christ, therefore, and he's going to tell you to imitate. But I've got to tell you, the bar is awfully high. Verse five, chapter 5, verse 1 imitate God how we doing anybody this week say you act just like the Lord God boy they didn't say that to me you, you look just like Jesus by the way that's what we say we say Christian Christian means to be like Christ it, it, it was not a compliment in Antioch years ago in Syria they said you bunch of Christians you're like a guy we put on the cross so we put up the name Christian, which means, you want to see what he's like? Come, come with me. Just watch, watch, watch. You say, oh, no, I wouldn't. I couldn't say that. That's what we say. And so here he says, be imitators. Imitate God as dearly loved children. Why? You don't do it out of compulsion. You don't do it because somebody's saying, you better start straightening up, act like Jesus. You do it because, goodness, he might love me that much. Surely the least I can do is let his light shine through me so that others see my good works and glorify my Father, which is in heaven. Paul would write, it's the love of Christ that compels me. It says, be imitators of God as dearly loved, dearly loved. That word is agape. You've received God's kind of love. You're the few. Do you, you understand 1 John 3, 2, it says, when he comes, we're going to be like him. And don't miss this phrase. We will see him as he is. The world doesn't. They don't now. But, but when he comes, it says those who don't know Christ are going to want to be buried in rocks, under rocks and caves to keep from looking at his face. But children of God are going to say, glory, he's arrived. We'll see him as the Lord of grace and mercy and, and, and compassion that forgave us. We'll see him as he is. That's what it says here. You're dearly beloved, agape. You received his love. So therefore, he says, Another time, here's that word walk. Walk in love. This is the word agape. Walk in God's kind of love as the Messiah, the Christ, loved us. So here again is the bar. Imitate God. Be kind as he forgave you. Imitate God. And then it says here, love as Christ loved us. And his love was not just academic. He gave himself for us. It's a sacrificial and fragrant offering. Then he lists all these sexual things we're not going to talk about. It's always amazing when you talk about love. The first thing people think about is physical lust. He comes down to say that's idolatry. If you look in verse 5, no one recognizes every sexually moral, impure, greedy person is an idolater and does not have an inheritance in the kingdom. When you worship flesh more than you worship the Father, you're an idolater. 
But, but look what he says quickly, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with em- empty arguments. Boy, there are plenty of those today. For God's wrath's coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, don't become their partners. You, you were once that way. You were once in darkness. Not now. Now you're light in the Lord. So here's that word again. Walk. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in goodness righteousness and truth and then look at here here it sums it all up verse 10 discern what is pleasing to the lord well i'm gonna do my best to cover this in just a few minutes and so you're gonna have to listen fast first he says i want you to be kind to each other it's the process the word little means be be becoming kind why because that's not our nature the reason road rage exists is because our nature is you cut me off i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna make you miserable you say something ugly to me, I'm going to get you back. When you, when you do something wrong to me, I'm going to ponder. I, I'll think of 14 ways I'm going to hurt you. See, our nature is not kindness. Our nature in, in, our, in, our, in our sensual, normal self is to be, be, to be vindictive, uh, to, to, to get revenge, and, and, and not get even, to make you hurt worse if I can at all. And so he says, listen, when you follow Christ, you need to be becoming kind. It's not an instantaneous change. You're saved in an instant. But becoming like Christ is that process we don't use anymore. You never don't hear this anymore in church. There, there's something called regeneration. That's new birth. Glorification is the moment you're taken to be with the Lord. But that process between the cross and the crown is called sanctification. Uh, the word sanctify, saint, and holy come from the same Greek, Greek, Greek word, hagias. To be holy means you're not like the world. You, you're more like God. To be set apart from the world is, is sanctification. You're set apart from the world, set apart to God. A saint is somebody who's set apart from the world and says, I, I choose to follow Jesus, no turning back. And, and so he says that process, be becoming kind. Why, leave me alone to myself, and buddy, I'll bite your head off. And, and I'm in bad company. So he says the nature is you need to be working on this surgical procedure that's happened to take out that stony heart and begin to let that new heart really pump its life's blood through every part of your body and brain and emotion. Jesus was compassionate gracious and kind and the way we demonstrate kindness the number one way you can demonstrate kindness the number one way is not through giving food to a hungry person that's a good way but think about thing and i don't mean this unkind give food to hungry people please do but you realize that's somewhat detached when you and i see somebody hungry and we either give them some money or we give them food i'm not going to take them home with me I'm not going to go see them at the office. I won't see them at church, likely. So, so that I, I did it, but it's 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 sterile. I'm going to do that one act, and then I'm done. I, what a good boy am I? I? I helped a hungry person. But you know, the one number one sign of that you really are kind, forgiveness. How are we on that one? The last person that really, 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 really got to you. Are you thinking of them? Have you, are you thinking of them because, yeah, I chose to forgive them? Or I'm thinking of them because, yeah, it still stings really bad. The Bible says the number one way we can show we're kind. Look at this. It says, verse 32, be kind and compassionate. That means you see they have a need and you want to meet it. How different would it be when somebody really wronged you? Say, listen, I, I, I'm sure I deserve your anger. I, I, I'm sure I do. But can I just ask you something? Are you hurting about something else and I just happen to pile on? 
Were you already upset and I was the straw that broke the camel's back? Are you really that mad at me or was there a string of things and I was just the one that finally you said, that's it? He says, show compassion. Be imitators of God. Listen, be kind and compassionate. Forgive each other. And this word forgiveness, and you know, normally forgiveness, forgiveness, when it talks about God's forgiven us, it says he put away our sin. That's why the Bible says he took our sin and removed them from us. He put our sins, took them away and put them behind his back on the cross. He removed our sin and nailed those to the cross. There's that picture of taking them off of us and driving them away. In the Old Testament, they'd have a, a, a scapegoat. And the priest would put his hands on the scapegoat and they'd drive it out of the camp and say, there goes our sin. It's been taken from us. This lamb was slain for us. That goat is taking our sins away. The word forgiveness normally means to take it away, but that's not the word here. Ironically, when it says you need to forgive through compassion, the word literally means show favor, be benevolent, show someone great grace that has wronged you. Wouldn't it be easier, Lord, if I could just take away what they did and go bury it somewhere? He said, no, I want you to show them grace. Because after God's forgiven you, did he abandon you? When he forgave you, say, that's it. I forgave you yesterday and the day before and last week and last month and last year. I, I, I've just had it with you. Anybody here ever hear that from a mate? Anybody ever hear, hear, hear that from a child? I'm sick of you. Anybody ever hear that from a boss? Anybody ever hear that from a neighbor? Anybody ever hear that from a mom or daddy? I hope not. See, when God forgave you, he didn't say, boy, you make me so mad, I'm forgiving you, but that's the last time we're done. That's not forgiveness. It's sure not compassionate. That is, I'll lord it over you as long as I live, and if you ever come back in my sight, I'll remind you why you're not welcome here. If that were the case, none of us would be in church today worshiping God. Because if anybody has a right to keep a list, <laughs> I say if anybody has a right to keep a list, y'all not listening. I said if anybody has a right to keep a list, it's God. And so the Bible says when you forgive somebody, it means you show them undeserved mercy. You know what grace is? Undeserved mercy. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be earned. That's why we call it amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Forgive each other. And then he says to the same great way Christ forgave you. And the word here is, you, we, we, I know very little Greek, but there are words that just jump off the page. I remember seminary. And the word here for just as Christ forgave you is the word charisma. We get a word charismatic. Charismatic means grace gifted. Charisma is a person who has great grace that enthralls other people, draws them to him. The word of Christ here for forgive, as he charismatic, as he poured out great grace on you, you slosh grace when you walk and others bump against you. You are now to be so full of grace that somebody looks forward to making us mad. <laughs> I didn't say they do. But we ought to be so filled with grace that when they come against us, they say, you know, he treats me so nice, she treats us so nice that they're one of the few people I love to offend. <laughs> I didn't say we're there. I'm just saying that's what the word means. God forgave us. 
in Christ. He showed us mercy we didn't deserve. And the Bible says it's all in him, in his finished work, in his suffering, in his walking as we walked, in his demonstration. You know, you know, it amazes me when those vile Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees argue with him, he's just so calm. I love when Nicodemus came to him. He demonstrated, Lord, I'm not here to debate you. I, I'm enthralled by you. I just don't want to get in the middle of my brothers who are so eager to argue with you. I came just, I just want a little time with Jesus. Isn't that what that song says? Just a little time with Jesus. And Nicodemus said, we know you must be a righteous man. No man could do what you're doing if you were not righteous. And Jesus, and he said, how, how, how can I get there? He said, you have to be born again. Nicodemus, and he's not playing dumb. He says, I don't know what you mean. I'm born a Jew. I'm one of God's people. I, 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 I'm one of the chosen. I'm part of the Sanhedrin. I don't know what you mean. I couldn't be born any better than being born as a child of Abraham. What do you mean born again? I, my lineage is perfect. He said, no. No, your lineage is from the right background, but your lineage needs to be upgraded. See, that which is born in flesh, no matter who your granddaddy was, is flesh. But unless you're born of the Spirit, you're going to perish. You're going to be separated from God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so the Bible says, look at this, in verse five, chapter 4, verse 32, he's forgive one another just as God forgave you in Christ. What does that mean? If he hadn't done what he did there, we'd have no access there. If he hadn't been buried for our sin as we're going to die as a result of sin physically, if he had not been buried, he, he could not possibly relate to us when we stand before God and say, you don't know what it's like to die under the guilt and the weight of sin. He said, I know what it is to die. Treat it as if I'd sinned. For it pleased God to put on him the sins of us all. But you, you just don't know what it is to die. He said, yeah, I do. And to suffer, yeah, I do. But we're going to experience something he knows we don't. Because of what he did in Christ, we're going to be raised up. I hadn't done that yet. <laughs> I'm going to. One of these days when I die, that's a comma. I don't care where Janine puts me or how she cremates me, it's a comma. I'm coming back. Doesn't that just scare the daylights out of you? I thought so. The Bible says in him, look at this, therefore be imitators. He said, just as God forgave you, now do this, we're to be in Christ. I found this, I love to read old, old commentaries of old scholars. They spent more time, spent a lot of time with God. This was a man named Alexander McLaren, and I just want to read it to you because he says it so beautifully. Listen to this. When it says to be like Christ, I can't, and I'm in bad company. I'm more like Paul. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I ought not do, I do anyway. What's wrong with me? I want to be like him. But every time I start that journey, Satan has a, he doesn't have a hurdle. He has a pothole. Alexander McLaren wrote this. There's one feature and only one in which we accurately speaking that a man may ever be like God. Our limited knowledge can never be like the ungrowing, ungrowing perfect wisdom. That first offended me. Ungrowing wisdom of God. Why is wisdom not growing? It's already perfect. Y'all listening? God doesn't ever go to school to get another degree. Why? He already knows it. I'll listen to this. It says, our limited knowledge can never be like his ungrowing, perfect wisdom. Our holiness cannot be like his. 
from the many points in our nature and our character which have no relation to anything in the divine. So, so what's left? Love. Love is left. Our other graces are not like God to whom they cleave. My faith is not like his faithfulness. My obedience, not like his authority. My submission is not like his autocratic power. My emptiness is not like his fullness. My aspirations are not like the gratifying of them. They correspond to God. But correspondence is not similarity. Rather, it presupposes unlikeness. Just as concavity will fit into a convexity for the very reason that's concave and not convex, so human unlikeness, which are correspondent to God, are the characteristics by which it becomes possible that we should cleave to him and adhere to him. But whilst there is so much in which he stands alone and incomparable, and whilst we have all to say, whilst we have all to say, who is like unto thee, O Lord, or what likeness shall we compare unto him, we can yet obey in reference unto one thing and one thing only. As it seems to me, the commandment of the text, be imitators of God, we can be like him in nothing else but our love. For love God corresponds to his, but it's the same quality and nature as his, howsoever different it may be in its sweep. Now listen to this. I love this picture. The tiniest drop of water that hangs on the tip of a thorn is as perfect a sphere as the sun and it'll have its little rainbow on its round with all the prismatic colors, the same intent and order and loveliness as when the bow spans the expanse of the heavens. The dewdrop may imitate the sun, so we too are to be imitators of God. We'll never be totally like him, but I can be a small picture of what he's like. Well, it says walk in love. That word love is agape, walk in God's kind of love. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says walk, walk worthy of the calling. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. Verse five, chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children light. Five fifteen. Be it, pay attention how you walk. And then he says, I want you to walk in the ways of God's love. Last evening I had a wedding, and I'm reminded at weddings that perfect passage Paul wrote about love. It's a classic in literature, not just in Scripture. But 1 Corinthians 13, when you want to say, what's the love of God like? You know, he said, love is patient. How are we doing on that one? It's kind. Be ye kind one to another. Paul wrote, it doesn't envy. You, you don't ever wish you had what somebody else had, an award that they got, or a raise that they got, or a house they live in, or a car like theirs, or a boat like theirs, or a vacation like they got to enjoy. You, you don't ever, we don't, we, don't, we don't ever do that, do we? altars open said love's patient it's kind it doesn't envy it's not boastful we, we don't ever puff our chest out to make others wish they were like us on Facebook do we it's not boastful it's not conceited love doesn't act improperly it's not selfish love's not provoked and it does not keep a record of wrongs love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in truth Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The Bible says he loved us. And then listen to this in chapter 5. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Now look at this. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And this is a key part of this verse and we're through. He gave himself for us. What kind of love is God's kind of love giving? So if you're a taker, you need to change sides. You're on the wrong side. It says, if you love like God, he gave himself for us. And look at the picture, sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. The word for sacrifice means to carry, 
see, see most often once a lamb had its throat cut and you drain the priest rabbi would drain the blood they'd have to carry the lamb to the place for its flesh to be burned you'd carry the blood to the altar to apply it you carry the sacrifice sacrifice of a lamb and the lamb would walk in on its own accord but as soon as you cut his throat you had to carry the blood and then carry the carcass to be burned a, 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 a sacrifice something that's carried the Bible says once Jesus made it to the cross or it was on his way across that even they had commissioned Simon and Cyrene to carry the cross on which the sacrifice would be offered. Once he was nailed across, he was carried, lifted up on the cross and set in place because once you're strung out like a piece of meat, you can't lift yourself up and who would want to? So the Bible says the word sacrifice is to carry but the Bible says this is also an offering. It's a picture of an Old Testament where a person will come and say, I've had a wonderful crop. I've brought a thank offering to God. It's where a woman after her impurity monthly would come and offer a cleansing offering to God. It's when a person who sinned against God would offer a sin offering to God. So you had those required sacrifices, but then you had offerings that you would bring for the routine of life. The Bible said Jesus was both that which was brought by God, brought into the world, carried in the womb of a woman, brought to the cross as Simon Cyrene carried the cross, lifted high and carried up, lifted up on the cross and then carried from the cross to the tomb. He was a sacrifice, but the Bible says he was a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, and if you've ever been around a place where animals are killed, it gets to where it's smelly. They're not dead rotting. If you get around a rotten carcass, it's unbearable. But, but just the smell of blood, it just sits there and continues to be there, and animals just keep getting slaughtered over time. That smell uh, is pretty strong. And, and the smell of a carcass, if you're just slaughtering lambs, the Passover when Jesus died, a census was taken, 200,000 lambs were killed in Jerusalem on that Passover. Uh, excuse me, on a Passover about 40 years, 50 years after the time of Jesus. 200,000. If you have the blood of 200,000 lambs flowing, you're going to smell blood. And if you're carrying dead lambs to offer it to God as a sacrifice before long, the priests began to smell blood. You ever seen a butcher? You can't be around meat and not be covered with blood. If you ever watch those crime dramas, first thing they say is, was there blood splatter on the clothes of the perpetrator? You, you can't hide blood. And so over time, the blood would smell. And God in the Old Testament designed that when you offer a sacrifice, you offer a sweet-smelling fragrance. You offer an incense. Some would pour wine out on an offering to give the fragrance of something more like smoked, uh, smoked meat with is, is being prepared for dinner. It gives it a different smell. Uh, so he says when Christ was offered up, his, his very sacrifice was a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. Why? Was God's heart not broken? Oh my, yes. The Bible says when he became sin who'd never known sin, God looked away. Jesus wasn't surprised when the disciples fled and when his friends fled and when the priest mocked, he wasn't surprised. But he had never seen the back of God. He'd never known his displeasure. He's the beloved son in whom God's will pleased until he who knew no sin became sin and it pleased God to put on him the sins of the world. And suddenly God, whose eyes are too pure to behold iniquity, looked away. And Jesus in that instant 
How quickly do you cry out to God when you've sinned against Him? Quickly, instantaneously, the word in Scripture, are you blameless? The moment you sin against God, does your heart so break under the weight of sin, you say, I've got to make this right. The Bible says the instant he became sin, God looked away and even Jesus cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? He'd never known that experience. Every sinner knows what that feels like, don't we? Every sinner that walks out of this world into death will know instantaneously in hell, My God, where am I? The Bible says his very life was a sweet-smelling savor, and we're forgiven and made new in him. The Bible says be kind like him. When it came time for his trial, he didn't even open his mouth. The only person in the world totally sinless and was accused of everything under the sun never opened his mouth. When they drove those nails in his hands, he didn't curse them like most people. He started saying, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I always love stories of kindness, and I want to close today with one with school going on, and so many of you being teachers, you can relate to this one. When we're kind like he is, tenderhearted and forgiving, people remember our act of kindness. Years ago, there was a teacher who asked her students near the first of school to list the names of the other students in the room that they knew, and on two sheets of paper in the room and it took two sheets of paper because the number of students he said just leave a space between each student's name and fill the fill two sheets with the names of your of your fellow students she had told them to think of the nicest thing they could say about each of their classmates and write it down took the remainder of the class period to finish their assignment and as the students left the room each one handed their completed papers to the teacher on that Saturday, the teacher wrote down the name of each student on a separate sheet of paper and listed what everybody else had said about them in their class. On Monday, she gave each student his or her list, and before long, the entire class was smiling. Really? She could hear them whisper, I, I never knew that meant anything to that person. I, I didn't know they liked me so much for what she heard the young students saying. No one ever mentioned the papers in class again. She never knew if they discussed them after class or with their parents, but it didn't matter. The exercise that accomplished its purpose, the students were happy with themselves and one another. That group of students seemed to act better as the year went forward, and eventually they moved on and promoted to another class. Several years later, one of the students was killed in Vietnam, and the teacher, his teacher attended the funeral of that special student church was packed with his friends, and one by one, those who loved him took a last walk by the coffin. The teacher stayed behind. She was the last to make that journey to pay her respects. As she stood there, one of the, one of the soldiers who acted as a pallbearer came up to her and said, w Were you Mark's math teacher? She said, Yeah, I was. And he said, Well, Mark talk, sure did talk about you a lot. After the funeral, most of Mark's former classmates went together to a luncheon, and Mark's mother and father were there, and obviously waiting to speak with his teacher. His dad said, we want to show you something. And his dad reached in his wallet and took out of his wallet, uh, took a wallet out of his pocket, and said, they found this on Mark when he was killed. We thought you might recognize it. And opening the billfold, he carefully removed two worn pieces of notebook paper. They'd been taped many times, folded and refolded many times, and the teacher knew without looking what those papers were. They were the very ones that she had people list all the good things that each classmate said about the other. 
Mark's mother said with tears, thank you so much for doing that for Mark. As you can see, Mark treasured that for the rest of his life. He even carried it with him to Vietnam. All of his former classmates started to gather around. Charlie smiled rather sheepishly and said, I still have my list too. It's in the top drawer of my desk. Chuck's wife said, Chuck asked me to put his in our wedding album. I have mine too, Marilyn said. It's in my diary. And then Vicki, another classmate, reached into her pocketbook, took her wallet, and showed her worn, frazzled list to the group. She said, I carry this with me every day, all the time. Without batting an eyelash, she said, I think we all saved our list. Thank you, teacher, for your kindness. Hmm. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate. Forgive each other. Just as God in Christ forgave you. Stand with me, would you? Is anybody here today that needs just a little kindness? The world's just been mighty hard on you and beat you up. Anybody's home just need a touch of kindness? Is there a spouse here to say, I, I need, I sure could use some kindness for my husband, or a husband to say, I sure wish. I sure wish my wife would show me more kindness. I wonder if there's a child in one of our children's rooms today say, my daddy or mama sure is harsh with me. I sure wish I could get a little kindness. Anybody here, your boss is overbearing. You say, I sure wish from them I could receive just a word of kindness. Is there anybody in your sphere that would say of you, he or she's just not very kind. They're pretty abrupt. They're short with me. They rarely say anything kind. They often say things that are cutting, but not kind. Anybody here that say, Pastor, my tongue is sharp, and I know it, and I, I'm not long on kindness. I'm quick on criticism. You think that's the way Jesus is? Is that the way he treats you? Does he always criticize you for everything you did wrong or lift up and encourage you when you do right? The Bible says he loves us. You, do you understand that you're dearly loved? The words of God, by your love with the love of God that will never let you go. It doesn't change. It doesn't waffle. And, and it doesn't show holes in it. The Bible says, are you kind to each other? Just as Christ was kind to you. Is there somebody here to say, Brother Nick, I've never experienced the kindness of Christ. I'm not a Christian. But we heard a great testimony earlier about a sweet lady from China that came and said, just tell me what this thing called Christianity is and who is Jesus. And through a student sharing with another student, a girl from a different culture a long way away came to know Christ as Savior. Listen, he's in the room. He's not way out there somewhere. He's a present help right now. So if you say, I need, I need Jesus then I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are. Pastors are here at the front. Rocky is here to receive, receive ladies. If you'd prefer talking to a lady as a lady, just come. And all you got to say is, I need Jesus. Maybe there's some of us here that say, you know, I haven't been known really for my kindness. I'm so sorry. Realizing this morning what God has done for me and what the standard is to be, I'm afraid I've not been a real good ambassador. Maybe you need to turn to your wife right there and take her by the hand and who you have just a little prayer moment right there side by side maybe somebody needs to come pray with a pastor so come and say I want to I want to recommit my life to be like my master who's kind and merciful maybe somebody say I, I want to come today because I, I, I know I'm not serving Jesus 
And the ultimate kindness toward him is to obey him. And I, I'm out there just wandering. I'm not serving. I'm not, I don't belong to any church. I'm not under the load of any, any responsibility. I just wander. Well, didn't he come to you specifically? Didn't he die for you personally? Didn't he invite you to him as, an, as one of his own say, come to me? That's pretty intensive. Maybe today you need to say, I'm willing to serve him. I want to be a part of this church. I can't make your decisions. You don't need me to list them all. But I believe every person here knows if God's dealing with you. And if he is, I believe you know what he wants you to do. So here's my invitation that he gave me the privilege to extend where God's dealing with you, inviting you to obey him. I urge you, don't put him off. Today, right now, do what Christ is dealing with you, convicting you, calling you to do. And when you leave this place, you can leave in the joy of being obedient to the voice of God. Father, speak to us now. Draw us and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together. The altar's open. Aisles are open. You come. Won't you do it?